Last year, I was on an outward bound trip in the Rockies on a 14-day expedition. In case you guys aren't hip to the outward bound course, there is a solo about three quarters the way through the trip, which is pretty much you're in your own area out of eyeshot and hearing range of other group members for a set amount of time. This expedition had a two day one. So on day 11 or so we stopped to do ours. Mind you, this is a nine day hike from the closest base camp. And we went about a mile off the rugged trail we were taking to set up. I woke up on the second day of the solo and looked out of my tarp and saw a guy about 20 feet away in a solid cherry red hoodie with the hood drawstrings fully pulled so his face was entirely covered. I figured this was one of the instructors because they go around sometime on the second day to check on us, so I waved at him and smiled. He then took off uphill and I lost sight in the trees. Come the next day when we are all back and talking about it, I asked which of the instructors had the red hoodie. Turns out neither of them did. There was a man 10,000 feet up a mountain in the middle of the woods who walked by me sleeping in a tent. It had potential to go pretty awry. Not my story, but one my family has shared with me as they are close with one of our fellow reservation officers. My uncle, a police officer on the Navajo reservation, was out in his squad car patrolling the area when he comes across something moving in the shadows of the mesa. He slowed down to get a better look at what was out during patrol hours, and what emerged from the shadows was not any kind of animal my family has seen before. It stood on its hind legs just like a man, but its body resembled that of a canine. It had long arms that dragged along the ground as it walked towards my uncle's patrol vehicle. The strangest part about this creature were its eyes. They were just these large yellow orbs, and they glowed in the complete darkness with no additional light sources around. My uncle described these orbs similar to headlights while looking at them head-on. At first, he thought he might have come across some sort of demon, so he quickly checked his weapons, firing at this creature. The gunfire did nothing to stop this thing's progression. It continued its steady march towards my uncle, unfazed by blunt force or loss of blood. It took several more shots until the creature slumped over and disappeared from view in a cloud of dust. My uncle got out of his car cautiously gun-drawn, but could find no sign of the thing he had tried to kill, only some large canine tracks leading back up onto the mesa where it stood before continuing into a cave that supposedly had been closed off for safety reasons due to a large rock slide decades ago. He continued to search, but found nothing. The next day, my uncle went back to the area and noticed a small patch of gravel where he had shot this creature. The only explanation for this is that the thing dragged out the rocks from its chest and took them back with it to its den in order to use these rocks to somehow patch itself up. As of now, my uncle has since been suspended from his job for misconduct and due to firing his weapon without authorization while on duty. He claims he saw a skinwalker, and I believe him, especially after what happened in New Mexico. Even if there isn't much we can do about it now, they're practically extinct. If you read this, please help us by getting rid of all these things before everybody starts trying to go out and find these things themselves. The world needs much less of these creatures, not more of them.
As soon as I turned 18, my parents demanded that I got a job. When three months passed, I was still unemployed. They went out and did it for me. I got hired at my family's ranger business, supplied places with rangers, and we'd go out and protect the park for however long the ranger's owners could pay. I started in early winter. I was cold all the time. The job I was working at did not start until about nine at night, or at least my shift didn't. I had to work until nine in the morning, 12 hours, five days a week. The pay was all right. It was my first day at a new park, a ski resort, and they had hired rangers to act as security. We weren't really as qualified, but my family didn't have the greatest moral compass, so to speak. I started my shift. I talked with a little guy at the front and said it was slow, not much happening. I was glad to hear this, sitting inside and doing nothing for 12 hours. That's what I'd normally be doing anyway. I went inside and met the guy I'd be working with. We'll call him Freddy. He was reading the paper and drinking coffee. First day, he'd asked. Well, I never worked at this place before, but I've been working with Tony for quite a while. It's a good business, I trust him. He responded with a little chuckle and went back to sipping his coffee. Nothing happened for a couple of hours. We sat back and relaxed, talked about our lives, and even got into a funny conversation about my uncle. About three hours in, we heard a loud banging at the door. Freddy got up to open it. There was nothing there aside from a trail in the snow leading to the door. There wasn't much we could think about it, maybe a bird or an animal, and I don't know, Freddy said, getting back to his seat. I thought it was a bit weird for a bird to slam into the door fast enough to make a bang that loud and still somehow get back up and walk out of sight. I didn't say anything, I just shrugged. Whatever. After even more sitting and talking, Freddy got up and said that he was going to go use the bathroom. He jokingly asked if I could hold down the fort, then went outside to use the restroom. I leaned back in my chair, quietly singing a Billy Joel song that had been stuck in my head. When Freddy basically kicked the door in, holding his hand, it was cut up and bleeding badly. I did not think to ask questions, so I shot up, ran to the first aid cabinet, grabbed the wrap, and put it around his arm. What happened out there? I'd asked him. He looked at my eyes and opened his mouth. There was another super loud bang on the door. I rushed to the door and locked it. I didn't know what was out there, but I did not feel like waiting for it to realize the door was open. Freddy was screaming in pain. I wrapped his wounds, but it wouldn't keep up forever. I went over to the phone, I picked it up, it called an ambulance. I explained that something attacked my co-worker. They asked what, I told them I don't know, and they gave me a half-assed, we'll send somebody, and I hung up. They asked to stay on the line with them, but I didn't see how that would stop Freddy from bleeding out. Freddy slumped down, leaning against the table in the room. I slapped his face slightly to keep him awake. Freddy, who did this? He cleaned his eyes and couldn't be bothered to keep his head anymore. He was out. His cut was worse than I thought, and the ambulance needed to come very quickly. As I put a blanket on him, another loud bang at the window made me jump. I looked back and there was a bloody hand on the window. It was a man, and he was begging to be let in. I ran over to the door and unlocked it. I went to the side where he was at, and I didn't see him. Did he run around? I looked down, and my jaw dropped. 
Right where he was standing was a trail of blood in the snow, going around the wall. I broke out of my shock, turning the corner, and there were the culprits and just one wolf. But I knew he wasn't the only one there. We both stood there, looking at each other. He snarled, and I gulped. I knew the time it took me to get to the door was a lot less than it took him to get to me. I didn't want to risk it, just in case. I kept standing there. He took a step back. Maybe he's leaving, I thought to calm myself down. But he did not leave. He took a step back and howled, and knowing what was coming, I ran to the door. He stopped. He lunged, biting into the flesh of my leg. I screamed out in pain, but at least he wasn't calling the others back. Or so I thought. He started to tear flesh, and I foolishly attempted to shake him off. He was on their tight ripping. I tried to push him off, but his teeth only sunk in deeper. Now I'd put my right hand between my leg and the roof of his mouth, prying his teeth. I limped inside, slamming the door shut. I could see him, these loud bone noises popping, and seeing him now stand up on two legs, looking at me through the door. How I was lucky I had survived. I wasn't sure what to do. I was bleeding out pretty bad, and the only gun I had was in my jeep that was left outside. That's when I saw more of these things. They were upright walking wolves, and they were pacing around this place, moving back and forth, looking in the windows, waiting for one of us to come out. I sat there next to Freddy, holding him, holding myself, trying to keep myself conscious. I was bleeding pretty bad, and these things were out there. I counted at least three of them, three of the largest wolves I'd ever seen in my life. What was going on? As I remember things starting to fade, I couldn't tell you what happened next, but the door burst open, and several EMTs rushed in, attending to myself and Freddy. They loaded me up on a stretcher, threw me in the ambulance, and the next thing I know, I'm being patched up. After this, I never heard from Freddy again, and I was quickly removed from that location and reassigned to a different one altogether. I was told nothing. I was not allowed to ask questions, and even now, I live with a nightmare, a nightmare of strange, violent wolves. And had I not made it back inside, I would have been torn to pieces. This wasn't necessarily a lot of time, but I was in solitude, and it was at sea. When I was 23, I was a dockhand for a boat rental club. I bought myself a 27-feet Catalina sailboat and lived on it at the docks for about a year while I worked for the boat club. I would often get toasted on 101-proof peppermint schnapps and go joy sailing late at night on the Chesapeake Bay for kicks. My main sail tears and my atomic four-engine breaks down. I drift out of the channel, drop anchor, plug in my backup batteries for power for my anchor light, and bed down in my forward berth to wait until morning for one of my co-workers to tow me back in. I'm about a mile offshore, well out of the channel in about 60 feet of open water, when I hear a rhythmic thudding on my hull beneath me. It was like someone was doing a semi-fast snare roll with closed fists against my hull. There was nothing in my head that I could figure could make that noise happen besides someone diving under by boat and literally beating on it. I went topside with my flashlight to investigate and couldn't see anything out of the ordinary, and the sound continued on and off for about 15 minutes, then stopped. 
It was a calm night with nearly no wind or waves at this point, and I visually couldn't see what could have been making the noise. It came from midship, so it couldn't be the motor being weird or something, and I checked my bilges for any anomalies and couldn't find any. It left me pretty shaken up because I just couldn't figure what could make that sound as loudly and as precisely as it was. I could feel the bumps hitting against the fiberglass hull. I eventually got back to sleep and made it back to the docks next morning. I dove on my boat that day to check for anything amiss and didn't find anything off. Needless to say, that was the last time I went out alone at night. A few years ago, I was traveling in northern India with my girlfriend at the time. Being young and stupid, we decided to hike up a nearby mountain without really doing any research on the area or how long it would take. It was an amazing hike. We met locals along the way who gave us chai tea, climbed up through thick misty cloud forest, and were even joined by a friendly stray dog who traveled with us until we reached the top, which was like a kind of grassy plateau. There were a few other tourists spaced out in tents, some other cute stray dogs classic India, and a local guy who was serving food. Now, thank F for this local guy because we didn't have a tent, and it was dark we foolishly thought we could hike back in the same day. Anyway, we borrowed this guy's spare tent. It was a one-person tent, so super tight for two and make camp 30M away from everyone to have privacy. We were asleep for maybe an hour, then suddenly awoke to this really low, deep growl right at my face. It was a stray dog outside the tent. Then more growls at our feet we were surrounded by these strays that only hours before we were playing with happily. Every single noise or slight movement we made in this tiny tent would be met with deafening barking, more growling, and you could see faint shadows through the fabric. Some of the dogs were even leaning against the tent, testing it. I punched a few through the fabric to scare them, but nothing worked. We ended up not saying a word. My girlfriend was crying silently, holding our breath for fear of provoking them, and staying perfectly still the whole night. It was terrifying we knew we would be killed by them. When the sun came up, we couldn't hear anything. After listening for ages, I manned up and took a peek outside the tent, no dogs to be seen. I crawled out on my hands and knees and suddenly a dog came running up to my face and started licking me. It was friendly as it was yesterday. I walked up to the local guy who gave us the tent to tell him what a mess night we had, and these dogs are crazy. He goes, and I'll never forget his face. Oh, they were protecting you. There are snow leopards and sloth bears up here that have been known to kill locals every now and then. I went back to the tent and sure enough, there amongst the dog paw prints were what looked like something much bigger. By far the most scared I've ever been in my life. When I was around 14 or 15, I went with my cousin and brother to go check out some land my cousin's friend's family bought to fish on. The land was a good few acres and located right next to their very large suburban neighborhood in Georgia. All you had to do was pull onto a curb in the neighborhood and take a small dirt path across a lake, and after a small turn, the path ran about a mile in a straight line down the middle of the property to a larger lake. When we went, we took a golf cart since nobody wanted to walk and pulled onto the property. 
After taking the small left turn onto the main path, we all just froze. Walking towards us at the opposite end of the path, there was a man with a jacket and ski mask on. We all saw him. He wasn't holding anything, he wasn't running, and he wasn't speaking. We stopped the golf cart, but we couldn't turn around on the path since it was so thin and there was foliage to both sides of us. The person was still at least half a mile down the path, just walking, but we were all still terrified. Also, it didn't help that the oldest in our group was 16 and the driver was 12. Despite being young, however, my cousin put the golf cart into reverse, which makes the loudest high-pitch whine ever, and reversed the entire quarter-mile pedal to the metal, which is still pathetically slow in an electric golf cart. When we told his parents, all of the adults came out with us and looked all over, as well as set up two plot watchers they had to see if they spotted anything. There was nothing on the cameras, and they have still never seen anyone in those woods since then despite hunting there all the time. I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. I spent a lot of time outside and I loved all animals including bugs, frogs and lizards, etc. My little brother played a lot of sports so on weekends I was always dragged to his games and after school I often had to attend his practices. It was soccer season and I had to go with my mom to one of my brother's soccer practices after school on this day. I was probably F8 or 9 at the time. It was at a local park surrounded by some wilderness and some hiking trails. I liked this park because off to the side of the soccer fields was a creek with frogs and stuff. I'd love to go over there and look at them and try to catch them, etc. It was evening time and the sun was setting, but there was still plenty of light left. I told my mom I was gonna go down to the creek to catch frogs. It was down the hill slightly from the fields and obscured by some bushes and shrubs. But there was a clear dirt trail that ran alongside the creek. So I scurried on down there and was carefully studying the creek looking for frogs. When suddenly a man's voice startles me, what you looking for? I look up and see a middle-aged man, dressed in typical office, business wear button-up shirt, slacks, dress shoes. He was standing on the trail, blocking my route back up to the soccer fields, looking at me and smiling. I was a shy and cautious child, so I just looked at the man and didn't reply at first. My spidey senses were already tingling, and I remember feeling nervous and uneasy. I sometimes saw hikers on the trail by the creek, but his outfit and appearance told me this wasn't a hiker. He then asked me, are you looking for butterflies? I saw some down there, as he points further down the trail away from the soccer fields. I just said no and started looking around at what my options were. I felt the need to get out of there fast, but as I mentioned he was standing on the trail which was my route back to the fields. There were thick bushes on the hillside between the trail and where the fields were. I started making my way up the rocks to the side of the creek towards the trail further down from where he stood, and to my alarm, he started moving down the trail toward me. Need some help, he said. I was now starting to panic, although nothing had happened, and he seemed friendly, it just felt wrong to me. I just got stranger danger vibes. I remember feeling a burst of adrenaline and fear. I shouted no, and booked it up the rocks across the trail and crashed my way through the bushes towards the soccer fields. I remember the branches scratching me, 
but I didn't care. I literally scrambled my way through them till I came up to the fields and then sprinted over to where my, my mom was watching my brother's practice. I probably looked like hell, so she of course asked what the heck happened, and I told her. I felt like she thought I was just being paranoid, though. I'll never know if this guy posed a real threat or not. He could have been just getting some fresh air on his way home from work, who knows. I just know it felt creepy at the time. Five years ago, I found myself deep within the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness, 18 air miles east of Estacada, Oregon. It was a place of raw beauty. It was a moonlit night. My hiking companions and I had set up camp near a pristine lake, eager to spend the night under the starry sky. The atmosphere was filled with laughter and excitement as we exchanged stories around the crackling campfire. However, as the night grew darker, an eerie silence fell upon the forest. Suddenly, piercing screams tore through the stillness, jolting us from our conversations. The chilling sound seemed to originate from the heart of the wilderness, carrying an otherworldly quality that sent shivers down our spines. Fear gripped us as we scrambled to pack our belongings. Panic spread like wildfire, and one man, overcome by terror, lost control and wet his pants. We were desperate to escape the clutches of whatever creature or force was responsible for those blood-curdling screams. With trembling legs, we began our hasty retreat, stumbling through the underbrush and over fallen logs. Adrenaline coursed through my veins, pushing me forward despite the exhaustion that weighed heavy on my limbs. The air hung heavy with tension and the pungent scent of fear. As we made our way through the darkness, a swarm of bats suddenly erupted from the forest canopy. Chaos ensued, and one of the creatures became entangled in the hair of the man closest to me. His panicked cries mingled with the flapping wings of the bat, creating a cacophony of terror. It was a moment of sheer terror, amplifying the already unsettling atmosphere surrounding us. Seeking safety and solace, we pressed on, desperately hoping to leave the haunted echoes of the banshee's screams behind. Our path led us through an area enveloped in a putrid odor, a stench that defied description. It was as if the very essence of fear and decay had taken physical form, assaulting our senses and leaving us gasping for fresh air. Eventually, we emerged from the depths of that haunted night, stumbling into the dim light of dawn. Exhausted and shaken, we collapsed onto the forest floor, grateful to have escaped whatever malevolent presence had haunted our wilderness retreat. My cousin and I were on our second elk hunt. It was rifle season in the Oregon Cascades. We had been hunting hard and were pretty much exhausted from hiking and trying to locate elk. We decided that we would hit up a small valley that everyone else was avoiding due to terrain and vegetation. Beginning of our backpack hunting, we left camp at 3 a.m. and set out to a point that overlooked a corner of an old burn that had a small river flowing through the bottom. After a couple hours of fighting with rhododendrons, we came out to the burn, and shortly after we got to our destination. About noon, we were deciding that no animals existed in the area, and were about to leave when I just happened to glance over at a patch of blowdown and saw a nice 5x5 five five stand up. I blurted out Bull. Thankfully, he was far enough away that I didn't spook him. After a while of trying to decide what to do, 
We got close enough or so I thought for a reasonable shot. I missed twice. After a few minutes of looking around, he trotted down to a meadow that was significantly deeper into the burn and valley. We decided to get closer and try again. We made it to a little hill that looked over the meadow, but were running out of light and the wind was all wrong. By this point, the bull and his small herd had bedded down just off to the side of the meadow. We were around four to five miles from the camp and had some really gnarly terrain to get through. I figured we probably wouldn't get another chance at the bull if we left and thought the herd might stay and come back out to feed in the morning. We went to the back side of the little hill and made a half-assed shelter with rocks and sticks. I made a small fire and we went to sleep. I awoke in the middle of the night to my phone vibrating. It was a message from my wife on my garment. She said that she hoped we were able to make it back to the truck because the weather forecast called for three feet of snow in the higher elevations of the Cascades. I was thinking about how crappy the situation had become when I started hearing strange sounds coming from the bottom of the hill, down by the water. It sounded like a mix of laughter and crying with some noises almost sounding metallic. Think rusty gate hinges. I woke my cousin up and he was just as disturbed by it as I was. We stayed silent and just listened. It was downright creepy and lasted until around 4 a.m. Needless to say, we didn't sleep. We did see the elk again, but didn't take a shot because of the upcoming storm. Never figured out what the noise was either. My story starts about 25 years ago, 17 years old. I used to take a shortcut through the woods, Freeport, Long Island, New York. And heading towards the shortcut, I'd say maybe about 12 blocks, I had to go through like a marshy swamp area. About a hundred yards in, it's dark. It's in the back of an old railroad station. No lit light. You could barely see. You could barely see 20 or 30 yards. About a hundred yards in there, I had to follow a trail along a fence. I had to sit down to smoke a cigarette. I'm sitting there. 17 years old. I'm not scared of much, especially growing up in New York. All kinds of surprises, until after this experience. So out in the marsh, I'm sitting down and out in the marsh. I hear some dog tags, you know, clanking together. I didn't think much of it. There are a lot of dogs out there, goofing off. And as I sat there, the chains just started coming closer. The tags were clinking and clanking and started coming closer. So I'm thinking a dog's on its way, no big deal. No need for alarm. As my ears, I couldn't really see. To my left was a creek that came out of a pipe that came from under the property. It wrapped around in front of me to about a 10 or 12 yard drop to the creek. The creek's about 10 yards in a sand bank on the other side. Then there's some type of marshy small trees, and then you could see maybe 10 or 20 yards past the creek. Those clanking sounds are coming closer and closer. My ears are telling me that it should be visible soon, should be coming into my range. And I still thought it was a dog, so I'm expecting to hear a little critter, you know, coming through the grass and the leaves and whatnot. And I hear two footsteps. I hear something with two footsteps. Thump. Thump. And it's coming towards me. Not a French poodle. Not a German shepherd. Two distinct footsteps coming through and you can hear the grass and the walking and the dog chains are still clinking clinking. 
That's about when my alarm bell went off. I'm thinking, okay, this is a problem. There's no way you can think this is anything but a problem. Something's wrong and my ears are telling me that I ought to be able to see this thing, and it should be right there on the other side of the creek. This kind of just dragged on for about 20 minutes. It didn't just walk up. I'm thinking serial killer. I'm thinking something. I didn't know. Just bad. And I was ready to go because I should have seen it. My ears are telling me it should be there, but I couldn't see it. And I'm looking around trying to figure should I go back to the right or should I go to the left. And I'm in New York, so it's not always a friendly place, and I'm out in the middle of this swamp, and you can't see that good. To get to the back street of the neighborhood I was heading to, I had to make a left about 10 yards, go across the pipe to the right, go another 25 yards, then up the side of the hill. It brings me to the dead-end street, straight up there to the neighborhood, and I have about 30 more blocks to my house. And the trail on the other side went away from the creek. So whatever would have been done there on that bank would have had a 30-yard trip to where it was, and I had a 30-yard trip to where it was. So I got up and bolted. I figured I'd beat it. I hang to the left, run to the right, and I'm in full sprint. I'm the athletic type, I'm six foot two. And just where I got to the point where I would go up this hill, a 10 or 12 foot shadow with red beady eyes stepped up from the bank and was standing right there. 10 or 12 feet huge. It had horns. I froze. It had horns. Just an outline. It was as dark as dark could be. All you could see is dark. All you see was an outline. Looking into this creature, it was as dark as night. Red beady eyes. Beady, not just glowing eyes. Red beady eyes, and I froze. I was just stuck. And I don't know how long I was there. I stood there contemplating some kind of communication coming at me, like step into me or something. I didn't know. But I didn't want to touch it, so I did what any red-blooded 17-year-old would do in this situation. I turned around and I ran. And I ran. And I didn't stop running. I ran all the way home. This was like 40 blocks, you know. This was like two miles. I came home sweating, huffing. My parents kind of looked at me odd. I was well raised, you know, yes sir, no sir. No ma'am, Catholic boy. I was in an almost shock. I couldn't explain to them what happened. I didn't dare. They would have committed me. They would have sent me to private school or something. I told one person in my life. I grew up in Catholic schools and I tried to tell my priest. Bell asks what he thought the creature was. It was just a definition to figure out that life wasn't what I had figured out at that point. It was something that alienated me from what I considered normal. I was in the U.S. Air Force 1962-1970 and volunteered to go to Vietnam in 1965. I got orders to go to NHA Trang, but when I arrived in Saigon, I was instead sent to Thailand and ended up at Udorn RTAFB, which in the north close to the border of Laos. It was a small base with just a couple of hundred personnel. We didn't even have any jets, just prop planes. A couple of months after my arrival, the base started really ramping up. They built a whole new barracks area and more personnel started arriving. I was an electronics tech in the communications service. We had a tiny comm center next to the runway. 
There were four vans with crypto gear parked next to each other with a Quonset hut for the teletype machines centered on the vans. There was a hooch we used as the shop and a couple of others for the radios and other comm equipment. We had wooden pallets laid out for sidewalks as it got pretty muddy during monsoon season. At the end of one walkway, we had a water buffalo, a big water tank on wheels that held our drinking water. During night shift, it was the newest guy's job to make coffee for everyone in a big urn. You'd carry the urn out to the water buffalo, fill it, bring it back and do your thing. So one night this had to be in early 67 as we were already living in the new barracks. But the new comm center wasn't completed, yet the new guy hauled the urn out to make coffee. After a while, somebody noticed he hadn't returned and went looking for him. He found the urn laying on the ground by the water buffalo, but no sign of the airman. We went on alert. The base was locked down and a big search started. He was gone. Naturally, we all assumed he had been snatched by the path at Lao, Lao's version of the Viet Cong. What we couldn't figure out was how they could have penetrated into the center of the base. And why grab an 18-year-old airman third-class teletype operator? Due to the treaty with Thailand, we couldn't carry arms, so it was up to the air police to tighten up security. We were pretty spooked. Probably a good thing we didn't have guns. Haha. -ha. So three days later I was in my hooch and a guy came running in saying they found the missing guy. They found him on the ground right next to the water buffalo. Now the missing guy's hooch was right next to mine so I went in there. A minute later he came in, escorted by an AP, and started grabbing his stuff and throwing it in his duffel bag. I asked him what happened and he said, I've been ordered not to talk about it. So I asked him where he was going and he said, to Japan. The app was very uncomfortable and told me not to talk to him so I shut up. I looked him over as he packed and could see he was in fine shape. He was clean and all I could see wrong were three or four scratches on his cheek. He finished up, said bye, and off they went. We never saw him again and never heard anything else about the matter. We all shrugged our shoulders and figured the path at Lao weren't the type that beat up their captives. We couldn't figure how they penetrated the base twice though. We figured it was just to intimidate us and things just went back to normal. I was happy when we got moved into the new calm center and away from that spooky spot by the runway. So years later in the 90s, I was watching a TV show about alien abductions and they said something about the victims having skin samples scooped out of their cheeks. I suddenly flashed back to that event and remembered the marks on that airman's face. Could it have been? I've been fishing in Alaska for the last six summers with my dad. Never seen anything unexplainable, but have been creeped out a few times. A lot of it comes from lack of sleep since we are out there for up to 60 hours at a time with no more than four hours between every time we put the net out. Anyway, here's a few things. I was on deck by myself late at night and a tree wrapped in ball kelp got pulled on. Looked like some kind of giant squid. We've had a 600-pound shark caught in our net. That was scary. Caught two porpoises at once. They had already drowned when we got to them. Not so much creepy as it was startling. Then it was just sad. Found two oil drum-sized pieces of styrofoam about 300 yards away from each other. 
We figure they were tsunami debris from the one that hit Japan in 2011. Interesting that they would stay so close together for so far. Found an acoustic guitar in its case floating near a beach. The strings had rusted away, but the body was in good shape. Really, the weirdest things are in my own head. I'll have waking dreams where I can't move or something very dangerous is happening. I sometimes wake up completely disoriented and nervous, which makes working hard. I should probably stop fishing. Three months ago, my wife and I decided to take a drive up Mary's Peak Road in Oregon. We were excited to explore the highest mountain in the state's coast range, towering at 4097 feet. The weather was crisp and cool, with plenty of snow still covering the peak in mid-April. As we were coming down the mountain around 4.30 p.m., we spotted a beautiful waterfall surrounded by wildflowers. The sight was too enchanting to pass up, so we decided to stop and take in the view. I remember stepping out of the car, the chilly air nipping at my exposed skin, and feeling a sudden, inexplicable sensation. It was as if the hair on my neck stood on end, and for a moment, time itself seemed to freeze. Just then, I heard a faint tink-tink on the ground, followed by a flash past the car window. Startled, I looked down and saw an old, rusty, dented, blue two-pound coffee can lying near us. It looked like it was from a brand I recognized, maybe Maxwell. If I had been standing outside at that moment, it would have hit me. The sudden impact and the strangeness of the object made my heart race with fear. Panicked, my wife and I immediately got back in the car and prepared to leave. As I glanced back towards the road, I caught a glimpse of a tall, blurry, reddish-brown figure standing about 200 feet away, just beyond the guardrail. My mind raced, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. Was it just a tree, or could it have been something more? I've always been fascinated by the stories of Bigfoot and have read extensively about the elusive creature. Although I couldn't be sure, the figure I saw that day bore a striking resemblance to the descriptions I've come across in my research. I've heard accounts of Bigfoot throwing objects to scare away intruders, and the coffee can seem to fit the bill. I couldn't help but wonder if we had unintentionally stumbled upon its territory. We didn't stick around long enough to find out. The fear and uncertainty that gripped us in that moment were enough to send us on our way, leaving the mysterious figure and the unexplained coffee can behind. To this day, I can't say for certain what we encountered on Mary's Peak Road, but a part of me hopes that it was indeed a Bigfoot, reminding us that some things in this world are still left to be discovered. This is a nest sighting, not an actual creature sighting. I was a member of an archaeology survey crew, and we had hiked in along an old, overgrown logging RR grade on the side of Pelican Butt. This grade took off from an old, closed logging road. We were approximately one mile from the end of the closed road when we found a very large nest on the ground, which measured about seven feet in diameter. It was constructed of pine needles and small twigs. The nest material was about 8-12 feet in height. It was about 150 meters yards uphill from the old grade that we were following. The only reason we found it at all was because a crew member saw a spotted owl in a tree up the hill, and we went up to get a closer look. The owl flew up the hill a bit farther, and we followed, 
trying to catch a good glimpse of the owl as most of us had never seen one in the wild. That's when we noticed the huge nest on the ground. Was the owl leading us there? All six crew members felt it was a Bigfoot nest. We reported it to the wildlife biologist back at the office, and he said there are some large birds that make nests on the ground, which can be up to three feet in diameter, such as cranes, but he's never heard of one that large. Also, cranes nest in meadows near water, not on the side of a mountain several miles from water. When we suggested a Bigfoot nest, he just shrugged and said, maybe? This was a very remote location and hadn't been logged in years, probably since the 1950s. We also discovered a very old logging camp archaeology site dating from the Ely 19s which had old glass bottles still intact, which was evidence that no one had been there in a very long time, as most other old sites which were in more accessible places had been looted for the glass bottles. Point being, this was an area where no one goes, so if this were a hoax, it's a terrible place to do it, as chances are, no one is going to see it. Unfortunately, no one took a photo. While I was stationed in Cherry Point, I had the duty of inspecting the Marines barracks on Thursday morning after field day. Most rooms were normal. Dust bunnies here, scum stained there, but one day I stumbled a crow as something disturbing. I went through one Marine's room, he was a avi cat, and I noticed his wall locker was unlocked. Whenever I see unlocked wall lockers, I would go through them just for kicks. Well, this devil had somehow accumulated about 20 pairs of women's underwear. Some were even marked. When confronted, SNM stated, it's not a crime to have women's thongs. Turns out, it is when you steal it from the laundry room. This was in an area where there was a clear cut on the far side of the ravine which had a creek running through it. There was a logging road where I camped. If I remember correctly, there was a sign attached to a tree stating Dualt 16. This was a few miles off the highway to Crater Lake and 50 miles from the parking lot at the Virginia domiciliary at White City. The sound I heard was a loud biwa, which I never heard before or since. It lasted perhaps three seconds and I could not determine the exact direction. I did not try to discover the source of the sound as there was thick underbrush. Earlier, there had been cattle in the area. Doors were tightly barred in Hong Kong as the search for a hairy beast unfolded. Terrified residents shared stories of a shaggy creature standing over six feet tall sending waves of fear through the community. Among them was La Chu, a village gardener, who had an encounter with the beast and lived to tell the tale. It was a day like any other when I found myself face to face with this mysterious creature. I was tending to my duties near the family temple, approximately 50 yards away, when the unthinkable occurred. Suddenly, out of the shadows, the beast appeared before me, its entire body covered in long, shaggy gray hair. To my astonishment, it stood upright, assuming a posture that resembled a human. Without a moment's hesitation, instinct took over, and I unleashed a powerful punch towards its stomach. The blow connected, causing the creature to momentarily falter. However, my triumph was short-lived as it swiftly fell upon me, 
and we engaged in a desperate struggle. We grappled and wrestled, locked in a fierce battle for what felt like an eternity. Eventually, the creature abruptly disengaged, retreating into the distance, its form shifting as it loped away on all fours. I was left bewildered and shaken, trying to comprehend the surreal encounter that had just unfolded before my very eyes. The encounter had left an indelible mark on my psyche, forever etching the image of that shaggy beast into my memory. Not long after my encounter, the tales of this enigmatic creature continued to circulate. A woman reported witnessing a strange animal galloping past her vegetable garden, moving swiftly on all fours. As proof of her sighting, she presented large triangular footprints imprinted in the soft earth, distinctly different from those made by a human or an ape. The community was thrown into a state of uncertainty and fear as the search for answers intensified. Speculations swirled and theories were born, attempting to unravel the truth behind this hairy beast that had sent shockwaves through Hong Kong. As the days turned into weeks, the search for the creature continued, and the collective hope for understanding grew. But amidst the fear and uncertainty, there was also a sense of awe, a recognition that our world holds mysteries far beyond our comprehension. To this day, the memory of that encounter remains vivid in my mind. It serves as a constant reminder that in the vast tapestry of our existence, there are forces and creatures that defy conventional understanding, urging us to embrace the enigmatic wonders that lie hidden within our world.